ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Wednesday edition, 94.3 The Game. We are still basking in the glow of ECU's second victory of the season. The Pirates take down FAU in football. We will discuss that and more with our usual Wednesday guest, Bobby Howard, as he is in studio. He's rocking his hoisty colors shirt. If you're looking at our live stream on YouTube and Facebook, I have uh, kind of a, what is this, like a, a Mariner blue, Mariner blue we'll call it. Yeah. polo and a Mariner blue laptop. As my original laptop is broken, as I spilt water all over it over the weekend. That was the only bad part about ECU's uh, big wins about Saturday. They got a big win in basketball, big win in football. Everything was going great, Bobby, and then I spilt water all over my laptop. Now I'm using my wife's bright blue case laptop. Looks good, doesn't it? It does look good. It matches your shirt, like you said. And uh, yeah, it's interesting looking over. It throws me off a little bit, but yeah. it, it, it works. Uh, so, Bobby, man, how, how weird is it to come in here talking about an East Carolina football win? It's exciting. I noticed watching the call-in show on, on Monday or the reaction show, not as much reaction or uh, participation after a win, which I guess is a good thing. I don't know how the coaches show went Monday night, but, uh, yeah, just not as many things to complain about. The offense still didn't look great, but, you know, the defense did enough and essentially carried the way. Special teams was solid. Uh Bottom line is they won. They got win number two. They're not winless in the American. They have an FBS win. Just a lot of boxes were checked, um, and maybe they can build on this momentum next week or this Saturday. And people have asked me, Bobby, about, hey, does this change the narrative of the season or you know, ECU's thoughts going into the offseason about offense? And, and to me, it doesn't. I mean, I think the team is still what it is. The offense is not good. The defense is good. And the special teams, when the special teams have played well, they have a better shot to win due to field position or points. But the offense still wasn't good. We'll talk about that. But let, let's talk about the positives first, and we'll get into Navy here in a little bit as well, talk more sports kind of throughout the, the show. Like last week, I'll invite people, if you're uh, watching on YouTube, let us know what you want to talk about. As always, we'll allow you guys to kind of dictate, you know, where you where you want this discussion to go. Last week we went off on like random topics. So if you guys want us to, to go in that direction, let us know. Drop in the comment section. We'll do that over the next hour. But man, this defense, Bobby, continues to show up. Really, kind of a dominant effort. And it's not like FAU's chopped liver offensively. They're pretty good. They had just rolled up 42 points, 400 yards against UAB, and I thought this was the best performance defensively of the year. 100%. I think, you know, going into that game, I, I didn't think there was any way the uh, they could win just because the offense wouldn't be able to keep pace. FAU has a, a pretty explosive offense because of the amount of athletes they have. Um, you could tell there's still a size difference and stuff up front. Again, FAU coming from CUSA play. But, I mean, the defense played lights out. I mean, it was very impressive. There was no big explosive plays. Uh, they held that receiver in check. Um, they just seemed to have their offense kind of off script. They didn't seem to really mess well. The quarterback was confused, and kudos to the defensive line. I mean, I thought the amount of pressure that they put on consistently, and as you can see, if you can win uh, rushing the passer with only three or four guys, that really helps out your coverage because you're not putting guys out on an island. 
I was going to say the biggest difference for this D-line is just winning those one-on-one battles, Bobby, and you hit on it there. But Deontay Johnson, J.D. Lampley, you know, Jeremy Lewis, actually, I looked at the, the snaps. He dropped into coverage more than usual, and it seemed like maybe the game plan was to try and get some of that length in front of their number one receiver, uh, Jonte Wester, who was going to be their number one target. ECU did a tremendous job shutting him down, making him work for everything he got. They were hitting him as soon as he called it. He never really got in space. So I just thought it was a great plan, and it does kind of show the evolution of this defense because really early this year and even last year, it was so much blitzing with Blake Carroll. And, you know, we almost called him Blitz Harrell because like he was blitzing 50% of the time, but he had to because they couldn't create pressure other ways. Now they're playing a lot more coverage and just allowing them to do a lot more things. Yeah, and, and you're seeing it, you know, statistically with how well the defense is doing it. That's what's so cool about this D-line group is they're all pretty much in the same, you know, class. And so they've been together for so long. And that's what excites me too. Really, my focus has been on <laughs> – next season the last four or five games and just when you think about it all those guys could come back next year I mean really defensively you're losing Julius Wood which I hate that because he's such a great player he's so good right now man he's so so much fun to watch and you know he deserves another good year before he finishes out um, especially you know sticking to ECU in the offseason not taking the money and the temptation to go play at a power five school and just you know staying loyal to ECU. So I, I hate it for him because I'd, I'd love for him to come back and enjoy another successful season. But it's exciting from the standpoint that all those guys are coming back. Uh, Tesh has done just a phenomenal job coaching them up front because you've seen the evolution. You know, you you were just talking about it a little bit. You, they've always been great stopping the run. They're an undersized unit, and but they've been tremendous stopping the run. Now they've been able to develop the pass rush, and they're doing it. You know, they have unfair advantage based upon their positioning on the defensive line. So it, it really doesn't set them up for success. And you see that development here over the last few weeks of them finding ways to win those pass rush matchups being at a disadvantage in their positioning. I've pulled up the numbers from Pro Football Focus, Bobby, and just want to run down the top-graded players according to their metrics. And again, PFF, kind of subjective, uh, but still, the more times than not, when a guy's out there making plays, you're going to get graded good. I mean, you know, your highest-rated players are going to be the highest-rated for a reason. You know, I'll just run down the list and talk about how much eligibility they have. So you can kind of get an idea of what could come back next year. Uh, Julius Wood and Jeremy Lewis are two and three on this list. They are the, the seniors. They, they will not be back. But number one, Siobhan Revel, he's got another year. He's your highest-graded player at this point defensively through 10 games. J.D. Lampley, he's got two more years. Omar Rogers, he's missed the last few games of safety, but he's got another year of eligibility. Deontay Johnson's got another year. Antoine Jackson has three more years. Uh, Chad Stevens has another year. Dontavious Nash has two more years. Zakai Barker, three more years. Taylor Jackson, one more year. Elijah Morris, one more year. Tegan Wilk is redshirting. He's got two more years. Isaiah Brown-Murray, three more years. B.J. Davis, he is a grad transfer senior, so he's going to be gone. Ra-Ra Dilworth, one more year. Devin King, one more year. Jason Shuford, C.J. Mims, uh, multiple years remaining. So that's just kind of running down your list. I mean, this is your top 20 defensive players. Only three of those guys are for sure gone. That's awesome. That's exciting as an ECU fan. And and I know you've mentioned it before. I think we can kind of put the – Put the bed with that victory, Mike Houston uh, being 
uh, fired after this season. I think he's going to be retained, and honestly, this is my personal opinion. It may not be a popular one, but I do think he he deserves to be back from a standpoint of just the culture that is in place. Uh, You've mentioned it numerous times. These guys haven't quit. They've stuck together, and it's very difficult to go on the road and win, especially when you're playing for nothing and when you go as one and eight and you're able to pull away a conference victory. uh, That just speaks to the culture. Again, offense has a ton of issues that is going to hopefully see a drastic overchange. And I've stated this before, there needs to be kind of an understanding from Houston's perspective of there needs to be philosophical changes on the offensive side of the ball. Otherwise, it may not ever correct. But I do think he's earned that right. Um, And that's what gets me excited. If they can fix that, what they have coming back on the defensive end of the ball, if they can retain those people, retain Blake Harrell, it's exciting. And I got a question, too. I mean, from a fan of hoistingcolors.net over this week, hey, if Blake Carroll gets poached, do you promote, you know, from the staff within, or do you go outside to hire a new D.C.? I mean, I think, and hopefully this doesn't happen, but you've got two guys in Trip Weaver and Roy Tesh that know this defense inside and out, and uh, I think you kind of have an in-house answer there if that unfortunate situation happens. So I think that's at least a positive, because I know that has been a concern of some people as well. Yeah, and those guys have been with Blake Harrell for a while, so I I think it would be a pretty seamless transition. Any play caller that's new, whether it's the same scheme or not, there's going to be some differences. Uh, But, you know, especially you have Roy Tash, who, you know, majority of his works with the defensive line. So, you know, you have kind of a run game coordinator, defensive coordinator in that aspect. And then you have Trip Weaver, you know, with the safeties, more of a pass game defensive coordinator. Whether they co-call it, one of them leads. I think that both of them, you know, are well-deserving of that position. I GA'd with Trip at ECU, and he's as impressive as they come, uh, especially, you know, back in 2014 or whatnot before he left to join Coach Houston at the Citadel. So, you know, Rick Smith trusted him as a GA and let him take the corners, and Rick took the safeties. And so Tripp was essentially running his own position room back when he was a GA. All right, so again, we'll, we'll get into that discussion if uh, if necessary this offseason, but just, you know, want to address that. Bruce Willis in the chat. I'm pretty sure this is Buck Wild from the Hoist of Colors message boards. He says, yay, Mike. That's right, Bobby. Uh, so Buck Wild has entered the chat. Oh, that's Buck Wild, <laughs> yeah. Bruce Willis. He is. Uh, he's, right. a, he's a frequent visitor of hoistthecolors.net. If you're not familiar with our message boards, he is one of our more interesting posters. I'll just put it that way. Go check it out. Uh, I went over to the offensive side of Pro Football Focus at ECU, and it's not as pretty. A lot of bad grades, unfortunately, Bobby. And uh, look, these guys are trying hard. I mean, we talked to Parker Moore yesterday, and you know, he he said, "Look, it's been a tough year, but they've continued to keep their head held high." And and you just got to feel good for the the whole team getting a a results oriented uh, win like Saturday because yes, it wasn't pretty, but it had been so long since they tasted a victory, Bobby. For me, like just having a chance to celebrate motivates them for this week, and we'll get into the Navy game, but. You can only lose so many times before you like eventually give up, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that it. To your point, it, they're excited probably to go out to practice this week, right? Especially as the weather's getting a little bit colder, practice becomes less and less enjoyable because you know when you're hitting in the cold, it's it doesn't feel good. No, it's not the the best feeling in the world. So, um, yeah, they still have a lot of pride to play for. Um, you know, hopefully, build some momentum. 
um, especially going into the offseason recruiting-wise. And that's the thing, too, is, you know, a lot of these offensive linemen, I believe, are back. So I don't necessarily know if they should all be starting next year, but at least you have experience, depth, which is important if you, you know, catch the injury bug across the offensive line. Yeah, and just being real, there's going to have to be some some conversations on the offensive side because, I mean, they're, they're going to want to bring in players – some guys are probably going to have to move on. There, there is a lot of eligibility left on offense, too. But, I mean, there are guys who are not playing well. So, you're going to have to have some conversations. Hey, if you're back next year and we want you back, but you're going to have to earn the starting job. I mean, the, the production was just not there across the board offensively, really. I think those exit interviews are going to be pretty interesting this year on that side of the ball. Um, it, it, I mean, you know, we could see if, if they have a mass exodus and just tell people to go uh, find somewhere else to play, you know, that you could be looking at 10 to 15 guys on the transfer portal on the offensive side. Yeah. I know we got a lot in defensively uh, last year. It may be uh, quite the opposite this, this offseason. I look at it and, I mean, really, like outside of, of running back, you know, some of the guys in that room, and, and you got talented guys buying for carries there. So, you know, that's going to have to work itself out and chase so well. And Shane Calhoun's got another year. He'll be coming back from eligibility. It'll it'll be his fifth year, you know, assuming he returns. Outside of that, like, I don't know who will, who's a lot to start on offense. I mean, it's just going to yeah. be like a wide-open competition. Quarterback, to me, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Mason. Alex Flynn has another year left. Just talking with people around the situation, he has yet to make a decision on if he will be back. And I think that's something he's got to sit down with Coach Houston as well and say, hey, look, what are my chances of starting next year? Because he probably doesn't want to come back to be a backup, you know. So there's just a lot that has to be worked out, and we're getting, you know, we're getting ahead here. But I do think December to January is going to be a lot of interesting storylines to follow. I mean, there's going to be no shortage of news. And shameless plug to subscribe to Hoist yeah. the Colors if uh, you aren't already, because December is going to be fun. There's going to be a lot of moving parts. Um, I think you'll see a lot of tra- uh, transitioning happening on that side of the ball, whether it's the play caller, whether it's position coaches, whether it's you know transfer portal guys coming in, people leaving. Uh, I Chase Sewell is one that I am excited about. Brock Spalding is probably another one that I'm intrigued by. But really, outside of that running back room, and then even the tight end room, I feel confident enough. That's probably the the second lowest of my concerns. You got so, some young guys playing there. Yeah, yeah. We haven't really seen Ferguson le- mm-hmm. yet either. And Riles is, you know held his own as a freshman I think really quarterback you have to get an answer and that's the thing for Alex Flynn that he's going to have to analyze too you know with a new offensive coordinator coming in just assuming that there will be a new one um, it's going to be a brand new offense that he's going to be learning just like whatever transfer guys they bring in so really everybody it's not like he's going to have a leg up of knowing and understanding the offense he's going to be learning a new offense himself it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Uh, Buck Wild says, Donnie ain't going nowhere. Go get the Iowa quarterback in the portal. I don't know if that's the answer. That is, uh, we don't uh, <laughs> but any is, offensive player from Iowa, stay away unless it's like a 6'8 tackle. Yeah, hey, we'll, man, that's we'll tight end you. If there was a tight end available, you can always get a tight end from Iowa. Any tight end or defensive player outside of that, yeah, and an offensive tackle, I think any skill position player or quarterback, I'm good. And definitely not the uh, former OC. Uh, Kirk Ferentz's son. Let's go in a different direction there if that change is made. All right, let's get our first break in. Before we do, uh, we still got tickets to a concert Friday at DPAC in Durham, the Bush concert. Uh, special guest, Bad Wolves, uh, as well as another band. Again, you can call in. Uh, Philip, do you have that number handy? I'm, I'm working with a new computer here. Do we have the call-in number if somebody wants to call in and claim these free tickets? Yeah, it's uh, 252 252- 
There you go. So call that number now, and you can claim free tickets to the Bush concert. Uh, maybe Buck Wild will call in, and we will see him uh, Friday at DPAC. This Friday, again, two to four tickets. You can claim two or four tickets. Call in now, and you can do that. Uh, we'll be back right after this. We'll talk ECU Navy and get into that subject on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Armageddon. Back to the show with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in. Hoist the colors on a Wednesday. Uh, it's November 15th. And Buck Wild is blowing up the chat on YouTube. He says their quarterback can play tight end at ECU. So that's his thinking. He wants to bring in the Iowa quarterback to play tight end at ECU. What do you think, Bobby? Yeah, that that's a no. A hard pass. <laughs> Again, we're pretty set at tight end. Knock on wood. Uh, if everybody comes back, I like the tight end room for next year. It's just offensive line, quarterback, receiver. Needs to be cleaned up. By the way, I just talked to the new quarterback uh, offer from junior college. Uh, they offered Ty Keys, former Southern Miss quarterback. So look out for that article. I should have it up on hoistacolors.net this afternoon. He's looking at visiting in December. So, We'll have a ton of recruiting content in December, and uh, we're actually running a Black Friday special next week for subscriptions, so be on the lookout for that, as uh, Bobby teased that earlier, too. But uh, recruiting season is about to be here, Bobby. Who's the last JUCO quarterback we've had? Is it Blake Kemp? Or did we have Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew, that's right. Wow, most interesting man in the world. Gardner Minshew and Blake Kemp were the two most recent JUCO QBs that I can think of, and both of them honestly worked out pretty good. Yeah. I mean, Minshew's still playing in the he NFL. Is. He's winning games for the crappy Colts. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not really doing all that much. No, but they're, they're, he's managing the game. Blake Kemp is probably climbing mountains or something in northern Arizona. I don't really know what he's doing Blake right now. <laughs> Didn't he transfer? So he started here mm-hmm. in the 2015 season, and then he left, and then he went to go become like a backup at northern Arizona, right? I think so, yeah. He's from out there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember Mac Helms. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, Mac was really close with him. Mac's a good guy. I know he was at Samford for a while. I don't know if he's still there or not. But, um, yeah, Mac and, and Blake were really tight, and so I always kind of got filled in on what Blake was doing through Mac Helms. Maybe we'll try to get Blake Kemp on the show. We'll, I tell you, we'll try to get Blake Kemp. And James Summers on the same show and get them back to back and see how that goes <laughs> to bring back some old memories. Uh, all right, it's Navy week, Bobby. Yeah, You were on Ruff McNeil's staff. How many nightmares do you have of uh, Navy? Yeah, that that first one when they put up 76, I kind of wanted to leave at halftime, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> it was raining. It was just not, not that was a, that was a dark day. ideal. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, I was never on the defensive staff when we had to game plan for them. So you, you can um, say that you did not play a role. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I, I'm gonna throw everyone else under the bus. Um, but I was on the offensive side of the ball when we had played them, so I didn't get to, you know, go really super in depth in terms of game planning and, and you know how we were gonna stop or at least limit the triple option um i do know just based upon past experience you know our practice schedule was sunday night which was kind of like a walk through get you know jog through type thing after the game and sunday nights for the defense was always focused on navy until we ended up playing them so 
Sounds like ECU this year has done the same. Coach used to say Sunday they've been working on Navy basically all season. So you just have to, man. It's just such a unique offense. And not just from a defensive perspective, but for the scout team it's so helpful because that's the hardest thing is to get those scouts to give an an accurate look. Like to make it as fast uh, and live as it – you know, with a scout team player, there's a lot of hesitancy. We would always try to find a a guy maybe who was quarterback – as a triple option quarterback, I'm trying to remember his last name, Malik. Um, he was number four. I can, I just can't. I'm going blank on his last name. He's from Georgia. He had a Georgia Tech offer, but he ran triple option. Uh, Malik Gray. Yeah, Malik Gray. We used him uh, one year for you know a scout team quarterback. We would just try to find guys like that um, that you know really could try to um, mirror or mimic uh, the Navy quarterback. I have not been out to practice this week to try and see who's running scout team quarterback. And I'll be honest, you, you mentioned earlier that the weather gets colder, practice becomes less fun, and that is true for me too. So I go to less practices as the season goes on. So I haven't seen – maybe I'll try to get out there today. Um, so there are so many ties with the staffs going into this game. And, you know, you had Mike Houston used to run the triple – at Lenore Ryan, he would visit uh, Kenny Amatololo and Navy back then, and so you got some familiarity there. Of course, you got Brian Newberry, who's now the head coach. He was the D.C. at Kennesaw State. Blake Carroll followed him at Kennesaw State. They shared, I think, a lot of info and concepts at that time, so they're very similar defenses. You got the offensive coordinator, Grant Chestnut, who was at Kennesaw State with Blake Carroll. Uh, so they know each other. He's in his first year at Navy from Kennesaw State. And you got other assistants who have kind of been uh, at, 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 with Blake Carroll and kind of in this tree. So what I'm saying is these guys know each other well. And it's the fifth straight year ECU has played Navy. So there's going to be no real secrets going into the game, but it's going to be a chess match just because of like, you know, Coach Houston was saying on Monday night, the last few years it's been, hey, you did this this year. They countered with this the next year then, you know, you keep kind of back and forth there. So how much are you maybe looking forward to that side of things going into Saturday? It's going to be interesting. It's going to be – I'm expecting a pretty low-scoring affair. I think Vegas is too based upon the spread. But, um, you know, just because those guys know each other so well. I mean, you think about it, our offense, ECU's offense, has is essentially seeing the same defense in practice. Um, and then vice versa – Navy's offense is essentially seeing the same defense in practice because, you know, our scheme and Navy's scheme is, is pretty similar. Uh, you, you mentioned that kind of, um, you know, Newberry and, and Blake Harrell's connection there uh, previously. So they've seen it before. I'm kind of curious in terms of practice if we're going to go a little bit more good on good, at least for the offensive perspective, maybe early on in those team periods, just to give them a, a, maybe a better look than the scouts would. Um, but that's what makes the triple option so unique. You know, uh, you, uh, someone who is not super familiar with the triple, it just amazes me how many little nuances and adjustments they can make uh, to counter scheme. Cause it's not just as simple as dive, keep, pitch like there's a lot of different blocking combinations that they use um i believe coach chestnut uses more of a spread triple rather than that type of bunch triple um so you're going to see a lot more spread a lot more motion from the receivers they've also thrown the ball a lot more than they they've uh have in the past and that's what makes it so difficult defending the triple option is because you know five six seven plays in a row you're seeing run 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 so those safeties are starting to trigger and then all of a sudden boom that's when they hit you for the big 
in the last few years, it feels like Navy, and really this year too, they've hit the big play more so than sustaining drives. Like their offense is not very good. I mean, they're averaging 20 points per game. They're averaging, you know, 4.4 yards per carry, which they'll take as an option team, uh, but only 307 yards of offense per game, only 205 yards on the ground per game, which for an option team is not great. They are averaging 100 yards passing. So as you said, more passing. They've gone shotgun a lot. And like you said, kind of the spread option. I don't know how much you've watched of them, Bobby, but uh, Coach Houston was also saying one week they'll be almost exclusively in shotgun. The next week they'll be almost exclusively under center. They do both. So it's almost like ECU needs a package for, hey, shotgun Navy, triple option Navy. I know the first year, uh, East, or basically everything was tight. Navy brought in the receivers, uh, you know, tight instead of being spread, you know, giving them more blocking. And ECU just had trouble adjusting to that. So there are so many things they can do in that first quarter. We're going to have to see kind of what Navy's approach is, and ECU will have to respond to that. Yeah, it's going to be kind of a chess match, which it makes this game fun for me just because, you know, we're going to see how Chestnut reacts to some of the things Blake Harrell does and then vice versa. Um, it also really puts a lot of stress on the offense um, because every drive is going to be so important, and that's that's really my biggest concern going into this weekend is yeah. you're, you're relying on an offense that has been really ineffective, you know, through the course of the season. And you're going to be asking them to sustain drives and also capitalize on the limited amount of drives that they're going to have. I just, yeah, that's the thing that worries me. I just don't, I don't see this offense being able to score. I mean, Holton Aylers and this offense just really struggled to score on Brian Newberry's defense. And they did put up some numbers in 2021 had a good offensive performance up there. But outside of that, they have Brian Newberry's group has really shut down East Carolina. Uh, and this year they are allowing just 21.4 points per game, only 3.7 yards per rush, only 5.7 yards per play, and 367 yards per game, which some of that is helped by the, the amount of uh, time of possession the offense holds the ball. But they're good, and they throw a ton of exotic looks at you. They create turnovers and – if I'm both teams going to this game, Bobby, the last thing I want to do is turn the ball over because it feels like it's going to be one of those games where it is, you know, the the, the total set at 33 and a half by Vegas, which has got to be the lowest point total for an EC football game ever. So points are going to be at a premium most likely. Turnovers are going to be critical. So you got to wonder, too, how conservative both sides are going to be. ECU got extremely conservative against FAU once they got a two-score lead. Yeah, that that's immediately what came to my mind. It was almost like Houston just said, hey, hold on to the football and run that was the ball. It. That yeah. was it, yeah. So I, I think if some, whoever takes the lead first, I think you'll see a lot uh, very conservative approach. Um, you know, the, the other thing, too, with Navy right now, their, their offense, you know, so much is – dictated and determined by how good the quarterback is and that's kind of what stinks about playing them so late in the season is it early on you know it looked like it was taking them a little bit uh to get used to things and get used to being the guy in command running the triple option and you know making the right read so playing them this late in the season is also a little bit more concerning because they're more fine-tuned i think looking at their schedule and their scores 
to me, Temple was kind of the outlier. Like, yeah. I know they lost to Temple, and that really doesn't match up with the rest of their games. Like, they played Memphis close, and, you know, they've had a lot of close games, and they, you know, what was South Florida? They put up 30 points and yeah. gave up 44, so. I mean, really, every game outside of Notre Dame, which they seem to struggle in those openers, and clearly Notre Dame is talented, but I think Temple got Warner back in that game, and they jumped out to a 17 nothing lead. And you know as well as anybody, if you can get that big lead against the option team, that if you get a two-score lead against the option when they don't have Malcolm Perry or Keenan Reynolds, I mean, it's very tough for them to come back. And uh, I think, yeah, EJ Warner, 402 yards passing in that football game. They only ran for 46 yards, so it was basically just – a passing uh, day, 27 of 33. And so we'll have to kind of see if ECU can replicate any of that. I mean, it, Navy is very tough to run on. Last year, they pretty much eliminated ECU's running game. And so that's something ECU's going to have to adjust to this year. But uh, offensive possessions will be critical. Going to Annapolis, Bobby, how much did you enjoy, you know, those experiences as a coach outside of maybe the results? But, um, you know, <laughs> To me, covering those games, I think this is going to be my fifth time at Navy. Uh, it, it's a special experience every time. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's awesome. I'm from up in the Maryland area, so that was always, you know, cool having family getting to come, relatives, aunts, uncles, grandparents, etc. cetera. Uh, so that was cool from a personal perspective. But just, you know, seeing the cadets, you know, walk in. No, they're midshipmen. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I know that's kind right. of like a sin in that military world so midshipmen walk in uh you know one of the cooler things was the helicopter flying right over top i mean that thing would get pretty low uh i remember who was it we, we they had that fullback i think it was that was like a navy seal and it wasn't he, alexander teach was it because that was a guy who's still running to this day from the 2010 game <laughs> it might be but just that dude was like you if you could create a navy seal and design you know create a player that was him like <laughs> if it was NCAA 14 yeah. you could create a Navy SEAL to play fullback at the Navy, that would be him. That would be him. I mean, to the T. He was just an intimidating-looking fella. Uh, but it was just the history and stuff there is cool. It, it's kind of neat that they do the military bowl now. I think it's very fitting. And then, you know, Navy's campus is beautiful, so I don't know if anybody's walked around, but it's, it's awesome. really cool. Uh, Bobby, question for you here from Michael Jones. He says, if Blake left and five to seven of those guys left in the portal, would that change your opinion on keeping Coach Houston for another year? That's a really good question. Um, no, because of, again, the culture that he's built. Here's my thing with a coaching change is, I mean, you're gambling regardless. So you're gambling, keeping Houston, but, you know, we've seen what he's done culture-wise and keeping those guys in place, you know, if you're going out to get somebody new, you better hit, and there's a good chance you're going to see a drop off. Now it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to drop off much further than two and ten or whatever we finish. But yeah, that's a really good question, Michael. Um, I, I still am going to lean on the side of keeping him. I, I'm hoping that culture he has in place retains some of those guys as well. But I, I get your point, and I feel like there's a, an emphasis. I mean, look reality, you're probably not going to retain 100 percent of the guys you want to retain. I mean, let's just be honest, but. I think with the emphasis on improving the NIL and the – to me, if they can win at least one of these last two games, you can kind of say, oh, hey, look how close we were in three or four of these other games from having seven, eight wins. Give us another year defense, basically. What you got to do is get the defense in a room and say, hey, let's stick together. Let's give this thing another year. We will fix the offense as a coaching staff, 
and next year we can be a conference championship contender. I mean, that's how I would sell it because I really think if you do that, you're right there. You're not that far away. I mean, Tulane, UTSA, you you were in those games, and I don't know how the conference is going to look next year, but it, it's not as far away as it seems. Yeah, and that's and maybe I'm looking at things as a, a with a purple shade, purple lens. We, we type. all are. But that that was my exact thought: is if you can get these guys coming back, you can legitimately compete for a conference championship next year. Uh, if you get that defense back and and just say that stays status quo. Um, you really have a chance if you can fix the offense. Um, you know, the other thing, speaking of the transfer portal and NIL, I think that's another factor of bringing Houston back. See what he can do with legitimate amount of money in the NIL. Like, is he going to be able to recruit and, and show his worth in the transfer portal in terms of being able to bring in some big guys? I also want to see them defensively. I know we've talked a lot about offense in the transfer portal. Bring another pass rusher in. Go with Sam Donka. I'm pronouncing that correctly, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. Uh, Danka Donka. But you number know, seven, yeah, he he looks like a guy. He's so long, he man. is, and you can tell he's made an impact in in the last couple of weeks. Him Tips being out there, every time he's out there, gets in throwing lanes. So um, bring another guy to compliment him. So then you have those two on the edge, especially losing Jeremy Lewis um, and Jack Powers. So that was if you can retain those corners, especially in Revel and Jackson, like you really have a shot. All right, let's get a break in. Uh, Bobby brought to you by Basil's today. Check them out. 1675 East Fire Tower Road, right by the AMC Movie Theater. Uh, Basil's, great local spot to eat. Uh, Definitely offer a little bit of everything. Italian, pizza, sandwiches, and more at Basil's. Great spot. Check them out. They They bring you Bobby Harwood today. All right, we'll get a break in. We'll come back. We'll answer any more of your questions, and we'll also switch gears, maybe talk some pirate hoops. Look around the NFL, college football, and more. Go Broncos. We'll talk about uh, Jaquan McMillan as well on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes! That was so good! 194.3, the game. All right. Welcome back into the show. Philip Pilkington producing today. He's behind the glass. Bobby Harward is in studio, brought to us by Basil's. Check them out, Fire Tower Road by the Movie Theater. Great local spot in town. We just talked ECU Navy. We talked some football. We've answered a few of your questions as well. ECU off to a 2-0 start in men's basketball. And uh, unfortunately, the women taking a loss last night. Tough night at the free throw line. They lose 55-50 at VCU. They'll be back in action next week in the Bahamas with a top 10 matchup against Ohio State. So that'll be a tough, tough uh, test. But... The men return to action tonight, 7 o'clock inside Menji's Coliseum, USC Upstate. Comes in at 1-2. and two. They played Vanderbilt pretty tightly, got smoked pretty good by South Carolina. They did make the CBI last year, I believe, so they're a pretty decent team. Uh, ECU is an 11-point favorite. What are you hoping to see tonight, Bobby, uh, the the basketball insider that you are. I know you, you do enjoy some pirate hoops, though, so what are you hoping to see tonight yeah, from a basketball yeah. perspective? Uh, my first question is, that is the CBI our, our measuring stick now? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't – like, if you make the CBI, does that make you yeah. a good team? I don't know. Like, well, we're not you, even allowed to go to the CBI yeah, anymore, are we? I don't think so with the American. I think yeah. – or they don't – I think they discourage their teams from playing. Yeah. I, I think, know they don't allow CIT. Oh, maybe that's it. it's the CIT that I'm getting confused. Because there's one of them they will not allow the Power Five, the Big East, or the American 
to even. They won't even give them a bid. I think it's CIT now, okay. and and I think they discourage the CBI, but I believe South Florida went to the CBI a few years ago and won it. Okay. So I think CBI is, I guess if you – and the, the thing with these tournaments, you basically have to, to buy your way in to host. So yeah, you're paying tens of thousands of dollars to host a game in a postseason tournament. Yeah, that's tough when we're trying to raise money for Team Boneyard and, you know – Pirate campaign, practice facility, Cliff yeah. Goblin's facility, which you talked about yesterday. So which that, that looks like it could be sweet. Yeah, that. but anyways, to your question about <laughs> basketball, sorry, I got us completely off topic. Um, you know, first of all, I'll start with the women. We watched the game last night, dude. My son is right now obsessed with the women's basketball team, oh, which yeah? is really cool. We uh, went to the game against SC Upstate, and the game they won by like 70 points or whatever, uh, and he had a blast. He was locked in the whole time, so now every night he's like, girls basketball is what he asked for. Really? Yeah, so we we watched that game. We turned it on. I, I told you off air kind of the chaos that ensued at our household last quite night. quite a lot going on <laughs> with the, the Harvard household. <laughs> so we got it on in the fourth quarter. Um, unfortunately, they didn't pull it out. Men's-wise, I tell you what, watching the Campbell game, I've been following ECU basketball since I was a student in 2009. And so that's what, 14 seasons now, maybe the year before when I knew I was coming to ECU. So 15 seasons. That was the first time I felt watching us play uh, an opponent like Campbell, kind of like a UNCW, you know, some of those mid-major teams that are within the area that I felt like we were clearly the better basketball team. Like we were the more athletic team. We were longer. We just looked better. I know the score, it was a little bit tighter at the end, but really that game was not that close. We were in control the whole time and we dominated, uh, which was really encouraging to see because I was like, wow, we have a good basketball team uh, for one once in my 15 years of following them um you know they look like a different team with Pettiford on the court honestly he's uh, a lot uh, more impressive than I thought he was going to be especially coming off the injury I mean he has some bounce to him there was that layup that or the steal he kind of jumped up for the layup or whatever and then ended up dunking it and I was like wow he has some some bounce to him which was uh, impressive and then Johnson and, and Ezra are dude they they have really their game has just evolved over the last few years, which has shown the development that Mike Schwartz and his staff has done as well. I think with this team right now, if you're an opponent and you go into the game with RJ, Brandon, and Ezra, you got three guys who can go off at any given night. I mean, so to me, if I'm ECU, like it feels like ECU is always the team playing another team. It's like, man, they got three guys. How are you going to stop all of them? And now ECU is that team, and I think that gives them a shot to win almost every time you take the court because we saw BJ go off in the opener. He really didn't do a whole lot uh, in the second game because Campbell seemed to game plan for him. Then RJ got hot, and he was in the zone. I think we'll see an Ezra game sooner than later as well. Yeah, and th- – I completely forgot about RJ talking through all that, and he's the one who scored right. 30 points. I mean, that's what's so cool about this team, and I know Mike Schwartz has, had mentioned it in his post-game press conference about RJ and what allowed him to score 30 points. He said it was because he was focused on defense and he was focused on you know passing the ball and those sort of things, and that's what's cool watching this team is they're so unselfish. It's not like there's one guy that has to have the, the ball in his hands or has to take the shot. They're all looking to distribute and find the open man. Like that, It, it really makes it enjoyable enjoyable to watch when you have a lot of unselfish guys that are busting their tails on the defensive end and then trying to find open uh, shots on the offensive side. I agree on Pettiford, 8.7 assists, zero turnovers. He looked quick. Need him to stay healthy, man, and they're doing as best as they can to manage that hamstring because I think he is a difference maker. Uh, then you got guys like Jaden, Quentin Abunje. I think you know you look at that group 
that's six guys that you feel really good about. And then after that, you know, Baela, LeCount, uh, Pinedo. So, I mean, we still haven't seen a lot of the freshmen. We still don't, still don't know anything on Cam Hayes, which is ridiculous. That's an embarrassment by the NCAA. Just, I mean, what they do, man. They're going into, you know, week three of the basketball season and a basketball player still doesn't have an answer of whether he's eligible. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. That's shame on the NCAA. Um, I mean, speaking of the roster and those guys you mentioned, that's the other thing. We talked about all the years left on those football players and the defensive side of the ball. All these guys could come back. Like, that's what's really exciting, and they're doing this right now. I know we played Ferrum, which is a Division three opponent, but, you know, Campbell's not terrible, and you're doing all this without Cam Hayes. So a guy, a guard that you are, you know, expecting to rely on, um, if, if they can, you know, continue to grow and mesh well together and if you can retain everyone. I mean, Pettiford and Hayes aren't leaving, so you know that. You really just got to hold on to Brandon Johnson and, and Ezra. And, yeah, man, RJ, they just signed his brother to play with him next year. He's got another year left. So, I mean, you feel good about that situation. So, again, teamboneyard.org. Even if you can only give a little bit, if you like seeing these teams, these this personnel, like getting to know these guys, I mean, that's all the more reason to give uh, anything you can to that cause on a uh, daily basis. Uh, Brandon says, just want to shout out, happy birthday, Coach Houston. Yeah, yesterday was Mike Houston's birthday, so happy birthday to Coach Houston. Hopefully they give him back-to-back wins for his uh, for his birthday. All right, let's talk some NFL. We'll talk NCAA in a bit, but, you know. Got to bring up the Broncos. Got to. The Denver Broncos are uh, a game out of the playoffs. Now, the problem is every team in the AFC is a yeah. game out of the playoffs. So are 14 teams. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, first off, your Panthers, man. They stink. They're awful. It, it was such a nice weekend not having to watch them. I watched the Commanders Sunday afternoon. Which that was, was a heartbreaker. Really, yeah, it was a fun game to watch. Good game, though. Though, Sam, yes. Slinging Sammy Howe. Uh, was was throwing it around. It was, dude, just watching that game Thursday. Like, I honestly, if I wasn't watching it with a bunch of friends and we weren't eating JJ's wings, which is fantastic, like we would be, <laughs> I would have turned it off right. already. It was just bad football. It was not enjoyable. Um, sounds like Frank Reich may get fired. That's what I'm saying. Like, uh, all right, at what point do we just quit changing coaches and does David Tepper? I mean, there's already heat on him, but it's like, are we just going <laughs> to? Fire coaches every year? Well, my friend sent me a text this morning talking about an article how, you know, Tepper was a minority owner with the Steelers. He wanted to fire – he was trying to pressure the Roonies into firing Mike Tomlin in 2018. Well, that was a great call. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, we're being – that's what <laughs> – sorry, Philip. There is no hope for the Panthers with this guy running the team. Oh, I've been saying that since day one. I can't stand him for a variety of reasons. But, you know, you mentioned that he came from the Steelers. Like, name it. Four head coaches in Pittsburgh Steelers history. None of us can probably do it. I have no idea who was there before Chuck Knoll. Like, they've had three coaches in the Super Bowl era. You think he would learn the fact that they have six Super Bowls because they've had the same three coaches, and he wouldn't be firing coaches left and right. I mean, I don't give a crap about soccer, but look at what he's doing to the soccer team. They made the damn playoffs, and... He's over here firing coaches. They're going to have three coaches in three seasons there. Yeah. He's had five in football. The amount of executives that have left there, I mean, it's. I mean, he's just firing people left and right, or he's just not an enjoyable person to be around. On top of that, Philip, we're just going to pile on Tepper today. I, I'm ready to protest. Um, I'm all for this. All the lies that he has shared about the facilities and the upgrades and all this stuff that is coming, none of it's transpired yet. He's just full of it and protest Tepper. Yeah, I'm 100%. 
I, I really want him to do something that makes him have to be forced to sell the team. I think he's a moron. I heard that there's a guy who has a plot of land in Charlotte that's for sale that we could build a new stadium, and the guy hates Tepper so much, he goes, I would rather sit on it than sell it to that POS. Amazing. Is there really going to be a protest this weekend? Like, it wasn't the talk? There was going to be this past weekend, but there was a children's event that they didn't want to interfere with. So I I kind of almost think it's um, Tepper's front office's way of saving face and being like, hey, this event's going on, don't protest, because... I don't know if it would have made any gotten any attention or I not. I can't stand him. As a person, yeah. I've heard he's a jerk. As an owner, he stinks. I tell you, if he is our owner for the foreseeable future, we are the next Washington Redskins. Yep. We are going to be abysmal time, for 40 years. I have just such a great taste for NFL teams. I've, yeah. I've told you my, my NFL fandom hit a uh, high point in 2006 when the Redskins made the wild card and beat Tampa Bay. And that's it. That's the high point of my NFL fandom. But That's pretty sad. I'm sorry to take away from your Broncos thunder, uh, but I had an event on Tepper. There's still room on the bandwagon. I know we got to get a break in, but I'm just going to invite you guys. uh, If y'all want to join this Sean Payton Broncos bandwagon, they're about to play the Vikings on Sunday night, and they go head-to-head with two AFC playoff contenders. Uh, the Browns and the Texans back-to-back. So I'm sniffing a win streak and a playoff appearance for the Broncos. And you have Wisconsin Badger, Russell Wilson. Wisconsin Badger, not NC hey, State Wolfpack. He's from a whole pack of Badgers. Oh, that gosh. is true. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show. This is Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go. How good is this? On 94.3, the game. Welcome back into the show. Got a few minutes left here. Philip Pilkington producing. Bobby Harward in studio. We were talking about NFL, and we got on a rant about David Tepper. Uh, quickly looking around college football this coming weekend. Not a great slate, uh, guys, as I'm looking on my ESPN app on my phone. Michigan goes to Maryland. Louisville is at Miami. Oklahoma, BYU. There's there's really – Utah is Arizona. Uh, Georgia's at Tennessee. There's one decent Pac-12 game. I can't remember what it is. Uh, Arizona, Utah. Yeah. Oh, uh, Washington goes to Oregon State. Yep, that's yep, the other Washington, one. That's Oregon the night one. So yeah, Arizona, Utah, Washington, Oregon. State. Other than that, it's bad. North Carolina goes to Clemson. I guess that's somewhat interesting. I Far didn't re- stink. Didn't realize Kansas State and Kansas are both ranked, but it's all right. The Pac-12 is carrying the college football slate week in and week out. It is. They man. will not be a conference next year. That's wild. Grant uh, Grant Matthews, your boy, uh, says Ezra is going to be difficult to hold on to. I agree with that. Uh, that's why we need to continue to donate to Team Boneyard. But he also asks, "Do I have my Jaquan McMillian, uh, as uh, Joe Joe Buck called him, Jaquan McMillian uh, jersey on the way?" Not yet, Grant. I want see. Here's my problem: as we get down to the, end of the show. I'm scared I'm going to order his jersey as it is, number 29, and then he's going to get a long contract and then change numbers, and then I have the wrong number because I feel like he's had that number since he came in and could could swap. Yeah, I had uh, friends buy the Brian Burns jersey in the uh, this summer, and then he switched number zero like right after the DH gate order came in. <laughs> That's how it goes, man. You got to be. I've learned the hard way over the years, Bobby. You got to be careful with your jersey picks and timing. Normally, I go for legacy players. I'm a little different with my Orioles jerseys because of Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson. Like, they're awesome. But Redskins wise, I had Daryl Green, London Fletcher, Chris Cooley, um, Sean Taylor, my favorite player, RIP. 
Uh, amen to that. I always have said that. Just go with the legacy players, the guys that are Hall of Famers and always have that number and be part of the team. John Elway, sit in my closet. All right, we got to get out of here. We'll be back tomorrow with Casey Romaley and Mark Aylock. We'll talk to you then. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at